，我是台湾的 Judy Chen， 你今麦收听的是 EE Times on Air。I'm Brian Santo, EE Times editor in chief, and this is your briefing for the week ending April 17th. In this episode, we've got Tirius research analyst Kevin Crewell reviewing some of the newest innovations in AI chips and microprocessors with intelligence he picked up at the latest Lindley conference. Also, corporations worldwide have become exceedingly disciplined about not airing their dirty laundry. Imagination Technologies looks like its washroom just exploded. And finally, there's plenty of reporting that's been done on the novel coronavirus, and more to be done. But this is a podcast, right? A fundamentally audio experience. This week, we put together an audio essay: "The Sounds of the Pandemic." We'll get back to that in a moment. This week. Imagination Technologies, one of Britain's most storied semiconductor companies, figuratively descended into chaos. International editor Junko Yoshida and London correspondent Nitin Dahad got together to discuss what happened and what might happen next. But let me give you a quick rundown of what Imagination is and who is involved. Imagination Technologies was founded in 1985 and quickly became known for innovations in video and audio processing, and then later graphics technology. Along the way, Imagination bought MIPS Technologies. Intel was at one time an investor, and Apple has been an on-again, off-again customer. In 2017, Apple went off again, and Imagination's technology stock plummeted because of it. Imagination then spun off MIPS Technologies, and after that, was purchased by Canyon Bridge, a venture company backed by China. That backing included money from a venture fund called. China Reform Holdings. Now, earlier, Canyon Bridge had tried to buy Lattice Semiconductor, but was blocked by the U.S. government because of its ties with China. The point man at Canyon Bridge is Ray Bingham. A little over a year ago, Canyon Bridge hired Ron Black as CEO of Imagination. Black helped attract Apple back as a customer. That was announced earlier this year. Imagination looked like it was on a very nice upswing. And then, it all unexpectedly went kerplooey. China Reform decided it wanted to place four members on Imagination's board. At the time, the board consisted of CEO Black and three guys from Canyon Bridge, including Bingham. It looked like China was trying to exert a new level of control over the company. An emergency board meeting was called. The UK government, concerned the Chinese investors might intend to move Imagination lock, stock, and barrel to China. Intervened. The board meeting was called off. Two days after that, Ron Black was removed as CEO. A well-respected former CEO, Hussein Yasai, chimed in, arguing that Imagination is a British company, a British asset, and should be protected. As we were putting this podcast together, Imagination was still in pandemonium, and that's where Nitin picks up the story with Junko. Interestingly enough, before the first. Board meeting was cancelled. Ron apparently had tendered his resignation, but then said he would stay as a result of the meeting being cancelled. Subsequently,、um, this week I've seen two other executives,、uh, Steve Evans, and he's ex、um, Arm and Hitachi and various other companies.、Uh, he's on the board, and also John Rayfield, 
who uh, was on the board based in California, they both wrote resignation letters. They resigned, uh, saying they would consider uh, returning if it didn't have Chinese control. Wow. All right. So the reason why you and I are yakking away at this imagination's palace intrigue is that because we think that this raises an interesting question. Is imagination acquired by Canyon Bridge, a Chinese company? I think that's a central question. No. I would have thought. That would have been accepted in 2017 when、uh, Canyon Bridge bought Imagination Technologies. I mean, isn't it right that if it's owned by a Chinese investor, that it, it is effectively a Chinese company? I mean, I don't right. know philosophically, don't know. yeah, morally, yeah.、Uh, but then, but then, you know,、uh, what does that mean?、Uh, because there's a lot of issues around IP and security, and I mean, for, for the UK, it's also about jobs, but.、Um, Imagination put out a, a press statement、uh, this week saying, "You know, jobs are safe, or, or, or no, not jobs are safe, but you know, it intends to stay in the UK." So, you know, the the question you you raise, and and I think you is very very much in in the sort of、uh, piece、uh, we did, or、well, the pieces we did, is well,、uh, if it's Chinese, wouldn't you expect them to you know take charge? That that is my thesis. Yeah, why why are we even? Arguing、uh, because I think it's、uh, the corporations, whether it's a、uh, private or I mean, it, it, corporations do exist to serve the interests of investors and serve the interests of、uh, of shareholders.、Uh, in this case, that、uh, obviously Canyon Bridge is the、uh, investor and owner of Imagination, and Canyon Bridge has a clear tie with the Chinese government. So why? Couldn't imagination do its business as a Chinese company? But you may have a different opinion on this. Yeah. So、um, the thing is, like, how how is it people are waking up to this now?、Um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, if it's、uh, for the last three years, it's it's been、uh, under ownership,、uh, Canyon Bridge. Surely, then、um, these issues would have been raised in twenty seventeen, twenty eighteen. You have to remember, imagination its revenue. Is、uh, probably a third of its revenue. I think Ron Black told me last year when I interviewed him, a third of their revenue is China. But then, yeah, that means two thirds is non-China, and, and you know, obviously Apple is one of、uh, going to be you know, one of the big companies. So then the question uh, uh, will be asked,、uh, definitely in the U.S. And I think Cepheus、uh, may get involved, or has got involved already. Is you know well、uh, if. If it's Chinese owned,、uh, does this mean for、uh, the imagination、uh, IP in you know, U.S. chips? Yeah, no, that that's true. It, 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 I think the the real question, as you pointed out, why are we waking up to this fact now, right? And I think I wouldn't call it the crime, but I think the reason why we're so confused about it is that Canyon Bridge、um, never made it clear what. Its intention is in acquiring imagination. I mean, they, you know, Ray Bingham and all that. You know, they always, you know, every time when they made the move. For example, that I think right after they bought the、uh, imagination, they brought in Leo Lee、um, from Shanghai to、uh, head up imagination. Lee didn't stay at imagination more than a year. 
I think actually he stayed there only less than a year. But when I asked Ray at that time, so what do you, what do you expect Lee to do here in the UK? And the Ray always made it sound as though, oh no, you know, Canyon Bridge is a U.S. Um, company, you know, investment company, and Leo Lee is the uh, U.S. citizen. He has worked in a U.S. company, so he always couched is that this was never a China play. In fact, but in reality, this is a China play. You know, as the Canyon Bridge um, the the uh, website. Uh, clearly says that uh, the uh, the Canyon Bridge is interested, especially interested in companies with technology that has significant synergies with the fast-growing Chinese market. So, yeah, and I think I, yeah. I think I also remember Ron. I interviewed him last year when he when he joined uh, Imagination. I think, uh, he uh, he did say you know uh, it provides very good access to China as well because China is a big market for us. The biggest story here is probably, as you say, um, I wonder whether Canyon Bridge um, has been figuring out how to make this imagination technologies investment work. Uh, and also, I mean, they have, the, 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 the limited partner is obviously China Reform Holdings. There must have been a motive from China Reform right at the beginning. Right, uh, exactly. Well, look, yeah. We want this, you know, you know Chinese semiconductor um, industry is, is vital and part of this $30 billion fund has to go into uh, sort of areas like technology and, and semiconductors. So maybe this was a, a long play all along uh, that yeah, it needs to be part of our portfolio, be the Chinese portfolio. So I think maybe, and, and this is controversial and a lot of ex colleagues are not going to like this, is maybe imagination has just been sleepwalking. <laughs> <laughs> or I think both the media and the uh, uh, the government as well. You know, we kind of uh, uh, took the position. Uh, when it's convenient, we say it's a UK company. When it's not convenient, we say, oh, no, this is a Chinese company all the way. So which is it? You can't have both ways, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think and, and I think... Yeah. Uh, a lot of people have been telling me since we wrote those pieces, I mean, uh, is that, um, well, what do you expect if, uh, if, if yes, you, you, you ask for Chinese money? Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, what do you expect, right? As if the government of the UK and imagination don't have enough to sort out between themselves, the US agency called Cepheus is meddling, encouraging the UK government to do, well, something. Cepheus is the... Committee on Foreign Investment in the U.S. In the U.S. is literally part of the name of the organization. So it's hard to see how Cepheus gets involved, but there you have it. The Lindley conferences have grown into some of the most important forums where new microprocessor technologies are revealed and discussed. There are two Lindley conferences every year, one in the spring and one in the fall. Kevin Crewell is an analyst with Tyrius Research and a regular guest here. He attended the Lindley Conference and wrote an article with details about some of the new technologies he saw there. There's a link on the podcast webpage at eetimes.com. Well, he didn't literally attend the conference, but we'll get to that. So Kevin, four days of conferences. What were some of the highlights? Well, the to my mind, 
uh, it was like, once again, uh, the Lindley conference uh, got uh, taken over by AI comp- companies. Mm-hmm. And uh, in this case, I think the, the uh, primary highlights were the AI companies. Um, we got to see a new company, Tens Turned, uh, come to light and talk about their solution. Uh, Grok finally really opened up the Komona and talked about the internal architecture of their chip. Um, and they, sh- they were a show, not a no show. And, uh, right. this time, and, um, none of the small guys who are, are making progress, the, uh, low, very low power guys like, uh, gray matter, um, mm-hmm. they're all moving forward with their products. And I think, uh, there was a number of IP companies, actually interesting, uh, flex logic, which has been a, a, uh, IP company make for, for FPGAs. Mm-hmm. It's sort of pivoted a bit, so they're still making their FPGA stuff, but they're also building dedicated chips for AI um, using a uh, DSP core they created that works well for machine learning applications. Um, so they actually went ahead and built their own chip, and they're uh, showing some great promise in terms of performance for what. So there's, uh, you know, it was a lot of uh, interesting technologies. Um, uh, a lot of the IP guys like SIFA uh, had some really good DSP. Mm-hmm. Um, Arm talked a little more about their uh, um, accelerator for MCUs uh, for uh, Ethos U55, which is their uh, machine learning accelerator. Uh, not mm-hmm. new, but uh, it's a key product when you're dealing with Arm, which is a key vendor. And then something completely different, and that was the um, uh, RISC V guys talking about vector processing. Not, and that's uh, the next uh, wave of architecture changes for the RISC V guys is uh, they're getting into um, vector processing and, uh, and tightly coupling it to the, inst- the instruction set of the RISC V CPUs. So is that a um, is that a new um, a, a new thrust uh, that would be in parallel with what they've been doing, or is this replace what they've been doing? No, that's a, a extension to what they have been doing, and it's mm-hmm. they uh, the Sci Five company, um, which is mostly founded by uh, the people who designed the RISC Five instruction set, mm-hmm. um, and finally it kind of broke out a little bit in that they said the 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 V that represented five and risk five actually stood for vector. And they've been wanting to do <laughs> these vector instructions all along. Uh, but now they're at a point where they can uh, bring it, uh, they're building their first uh, IP for it. Uh, the spec still, I think at about a level of 0.8 relative to a final release, it's pretty close, mm-hmm. but not there yet. Um, but uh, they're close enough that they're, you know, committing RTL to uh, their vector extensions now. Excellent. Hey, if I can uh, get you to back up towards the AI stuff. Sure. Um, lots of different process, lots of different companies, uh, a crowded business and getting more crowded. Um, did you get a sense that uh, the companies that, uh, as you were listening to the presentations, uh, whether they're all contending for the same space, the same niches, or um, did you get the sense that uh, – the various companies are are trying to find um, a spot of the you know sweet spots of their own to target. I would say the latter. They, they are yeah. they're actually it's a little bit of both. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, on the uh, inference side, the low power inference side, I think a number of the vendors are going after different segments of the marketplace, mm-hmm. um, and some are focused on audio, some are focused on video. Um, 
And uh, so they they are trying to differentiate himself and finding a particular spot that their architecture does best at. Um, the spiking mm-hmm. neural net guys are very good with sparse data. Uh, so they're looking for applications where there's a sparsity of activations. And um, and that's where they're very energy efficient. I would say that the Tense Torrent got a company and um, Grok and uh, Cerebus are all kind of going after uh, the, the data center and high-performance uh, machine learning applications. Um, each of them are taking a, a different approach to it. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, Grok finally uh, revealed some of the details of their architecture, which is actually very interesting. They're, they've disaggregated what you normally think of as a core. We have some memory together with a processing element and then some networking. They've completely disaggregated that. So you actually have these slices of things, like slices of integer processors, slices of floating point processors. Um, huh. And then they 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 create a 2D matrix. Basically, data comes across, going sort of east-west across the chip. Well, instructions mm-hmm. run sort of south-north or north-south, depending on the orientation. And then <laughs> they, 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 they hit a spot together where the instructions of time to the data that shows up the same time the instruction shows up, and then it does the processing, and then it moves on to the next one. And it's really interesting, but uh, wow. it's very it, it's a complex scheduling uh, problem. And, yeah. and that it's so, but one of the challenges I, I find with almost all the machine learning companies, except for some of the you know, accelerators, which are pretty straightforward, is that the more complex chips, uh, the Grok, the uh, TensTorrent, uh, GraphCore, all require very complex software to make it all work. And they have to schedule things. And a lot of them are statically scheduled. So they, they have a workload, they schedule it, goes off, and it, and it you offload it from your CPU and it crunches it on this accelerator. Because all, these mm. are all accelerators. They're not dedicated CPUs. Mm. Um, and then the workload you know, gets crunched. Um, but it, the, the so much as it requires is the timing of the software. The compiler has to be right. The software has to do its job to make uh, the simplified so, uh, hardware all run to, and, and, and perform its job. So uh, a, a lot of the, the real magic to these companies, there's not going to be in the, the silicon. Silicon's kind of cool and everybody's got their own approach to it. The real magic, uh, you know, the old expression, when the rubber hits the road, is yeah. going to be in the software. The software has to make this all play. And that's that's harder to just sort of show on a PowerPoint slide. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's kind of interesting. So um, is this, um, is the expertise in um, the software engineering itself, or does it go deeper into uh, the mathematical modeling, mathematical theory? Is that a... It's a bit of both, but I would say yeah. um, it does require people who are really um, good at compiler development, and mm. and that's that's where I think the real uh, magic is here. Is how how do you compile this code and, and run it? I mean, one of the uh, companies that wasn't at the con- then the conference, but it's you know obviously uh, on the mind of everybody, and that's Nvidia, uh, who's doing right. machine learning. Uh, is they've spent you know over a decade. Uh, refining their software and building library functions uh, that uh, most efficiently use the GPU. GPU right. is never designed to do these kind of workloads, and it's not the most efficient. Um, but you know, years and years 
of of effort uh, maturing the software, just like x86, um, makes it look a whole lot better over time. And, and it, it, it's, it, it, you can eke out a lot of performance out of something that's not optimal. And if you can make, if, if you can make it, um, you can present it in such a way that people are comfortable using it, right? Right. Um, you know, it's, 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 uh, becomes easier to use and it's that, uh, path of least resistance. So right. all these vendors still have to overcome some of this resistance, uh, to, um, understanding their architecture and, and how their compiler works and how efficiently their, uh, software can use their hardware. All right. Um, I want to move off and ask you about virtual, the, the, the just ha- going to a virtual meeting mm-hmm. conference. But uh, before we do, I just want to ask you if there was anything else that stood out about any of the, um, the technology that you saw. Um, the, um, the inference got, uh, companies, uh, the smaller ones doing low power, are all use, actually using l- uh, older process nodes. So you, 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 huh. you know, you think that everybody's going, everybody's like fighting for seven nanometer wafers from TSMC. Um, not true. Uh, especially the uh, uh, many of the uh, smaller vendors are still very um, much using older process nodes, sixteen nanometer and such. So uh, there's a lot of. Uh, of work still being done in what we consider now an old process now. But most of the leading edge vendors are trying to jump onto seven nanometer as much as they can. So, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Pro- provide some work for some of the foundry companies that don't want to uh, or, or aren't able to invest, you know, another seven to 10 billion in a yeah. 0.7 factory, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. And that's, I mean, this is a, a Good opportunity for companies like Global Foundries who are still yeah. investing heavily in um, these kind of more mainstream, less expensive notes. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Okay, so on to the conference itself. Yes. Um, just your what? What was your experience um, uh, attending a virtual conference? This may be the way we're going for the next uh, few months. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, I've I saw an announcement from Microsoft. Their all their conferences for the next year are going to be virtual. They're not going to do wow. an in-person conference for uh, a year. So my experience with Lindley was extremely good. This was the um, using Zoom. Uh, mm-hmm. They Lindley took what normally be a two-day conference and uh, with multi-tracks, split it into four mornings, uh, so you could attend every single track. Um, and then in the after, uh, right after the sessions ended, around noonish time, uh, mm-hmm. he then went into a breakout session. It's noon Pacific. Uh, what they call breakout sessions, which each vendor uh, as a sponsor uh, would have basically kind of a, z- a mini Zoom uh, meeting. And then you could join that and talk to the vendors, ask some extra questions uh, or or uh, some of the vendors ran extra demos and uh, presented some ex- uh, additional material as you would find at, at an expo around one of these conferences. Wow. The uh, nice thing about Zoom was that it included the... Uh, uh, presenters uh, video along with the slides. Uh, mm-hmm. Q&A was done through the uh, Q&A tab. So it was a text Q&A, uh, which worked out fine. You now you enter your questions. And I think a lot of people are actually more comfortable uh, uh, typing in their questions than necessarily mm-hmm. stepping up to a microphone. Uh, some people get stage fright getting up to a microphone, but uh, typing in a question that everybody can feel more comfortable about. Um, and then the expo worked out fine. But you, a lot of you could do that both uh, both as a video, audio, or just typed Q and A, uh, and that that seemed to go very smoothly. Um, so 
And then uh, another conference before that I went to was uh, the NVIDIA uh, GPU tech conference. Mm-hmm. They used a different service called On24, uh, which a lot of companies use for financial calls. So that mm-hmm. allows you to present slides and has an audio overlay. And you, can, you uh, and then, uh, again, uh, Q&A are through typed questions uh, mm-hmm. in a Q&A thing. But you lost the video. You didn't have the presenter's video. And I think that did add a, uh, another f- level of uh, uh, friendliness to the video and a little more interactiveness. And uh, you felt a little more like a virtual conference uh, as opposed to just a, a webinar. And so I, I like the Zoom feature of having video. Uh, people, various people did different things for their backgrounds. So somebody completely mm-hmm. blurred them out. Uh, some put a corporate thing. And some people, you obviously, they're in their, their library or their, their uh, someplace in yeah. their house doing it because uh, almost everybody was doing it remotely. So the video conferencing people haven't been lying to us for the past 30 years. It really is better having a, having a human on the screen for you, right? Yeah, I know. I actually, uh, I, you had to dress up a little bit more, though, for the video. <laughs> <laughs> I had to put on pants. Yeah, well, you don't have to put on pants. That's one about video conferencing. <laughs> you almost never see anything below the waist, so. Oh, yeah. We could get used to this, right? Uh, well, you know, it, it, it's unusual to say this, but it doesn't really affect my lifestyle very much because I'm an analyst and I work from home anyway, so. This is uh, my uh, normal way of uh, of running things, but it was nice. Not well. I mean, y- you miss the human element going to a, a physical conference. Uh, you yeah. miss the spontaneous conversations you would generate from audience attendees who are in various industries and uh, and, you, and the people you see at conferences you like to see again and uh, friendships are made over these conferences and and you yeah. still don't quite get that feeling uh, the same way. It's, it's, it's more formalized um, and it's harder to be uh, a little more interactive um, with, with other members of the uh, audience. So yeah. you do miss that part. I, I don't think that uh, part is going to be replaced until we get VR avatars in a, to go to a VR conference. Hmm. Well, I'm not holding my breath on that one. <laughs> I hope, I hope avatars wear pants. Okay, Kevin, thank you very much for being along, uh, for reporting on uh, the Lumley Conference for us. We've got a report from you that we'll be seeing in the pages of EE Times coming up in the next few days, um, if it's not already there. Good talking to you, buddy. All right, you too, man. After we stopped recording, Kevin and I continued to discuss the phenomenon of virtual conferences. And we agreed that while it seems to work quite well for informational conferences, there were still drawbacks. At some shows, attendees end up making business contacts that can prove to be invaluable when not signing business deals outright. Exchanges of information with other attendees can also be important, whether it's technical assistance or just scuttlebutt. And finally, you can't beat an actual, physical, destination conference for product shows. And who doesn't love conference swag? Okay, a lot of you don't like conference swag. I like conference swag. We often close with a segment during which we note the anniversaries of significant moments in technology history. 
This week, instead, EE Times editors from around the world have put together an audio essay. The world is going through an experience unlike anything lived through in over a hundred years. With so much shut down, the result has been a quiet that has allowed us to rediscover sounds that were always there but often overwhelmed by the noise of modern life. We are also filling our lives in entirely different ways than we were just a few short months ago, and that's led to some sounds that we're unaccustomed to hearing if they're not completely new. For example, parents are having to figure out how to keep their kids busy. This is Maurizio De Paolo Emilio in Italy, along with his daughter Lisa. He asks about her robot, which she names RoboBoy. You'll hear her explain that she built her robot all by herself, which Maurizio wisely lets her get away with. She says she used an Arduino board and sensors to keep it from bumping into the furniture. It makes a noise when it balances itself, she explains. Here's Maurizio and the world premiere of both Elisa and RoboBoy. Questo è il tuo robot? Sì. Come l'hai chiamato? RoboBoy. Vedo che l'hai costruito tu? Sì. Insieme a me? No. No, ok, bene. Come, come funziona? C'è l'app, questa è l'app. Sì, questa qui è la app. È formato dalla scheda Arduino mm-hmm. e può portare le cose grazie ai sensori degli occhi. Mm-hmm. E, oltre a portare le cose può anche non sbattere i mobili e anche quanto lo tocchi va indietro. Uh, si appoggia per terra quanto deve appoggiare le cose. Tipo e... così? Sì. E così si mette in equilibrio? Sì. E, mh, fa un rumore, tipo quello de, eh, dei sensori, che mh, permette di stare in equilibrio. Ah, bello, interessante, bravo. Judith Cheng is in our office in Taipei, in Taiwan. Taiwan largely escaped the worst of the epidemic, but it did so by quickly taking aggressive measures. Much of the population now regularly wears masks. I'm Taiwan's I'm on the platform of Yangchun Station in the Taipei Metro. It's the station closest to our office. The train you hear approaching will take everyone home after a long day of work. Everyone was wearing masks, so you can't see their faces clearly, but you can hear in their voices that they are relaxed and happy. We are lucky and grateful that the most citizens here in Taipei are healthy and safe. We hope the world gets back to being busy and prosperous soon. The sound of people conversing at ease in a public place, an old sound that's new again. The next contribution is from Junko Yoshida. She filed from her home in Madison, Wisconsin. Living in a tiny condo where we have only one bedroom, and that one bedroom must turn into an office for two adults is a challenge, especially when you're married to a creative type who probably starts citing Jabberwocky in the middle of the room. My son, the jaws that bite, the claws that catch, beware the jub-jub bird and shun the frumious bandersnatch. He took his vorpal sword in hand, long time the manxome foe he sought, so rested he by a tum-tum tree and stood a while in thought. 
and as an uffish thought he stood, the Jabberwock, with eyes of flame, came whiffling through the tulgy wood, and burbled as it came. One, two, one, two, and through and through, the vorpal blade went snicker-snack. But mostly, what I noticed during this period of quarantine is not the noise, but the lack of noise. Things have gone so quiet in the outside world these days. I recently took a walk near a river in our neighborhood. Note, there's no traffic or people's chatter in the background. You never notice how noisy cities actually are until the noise goes away. Next, Sally Ward Foxton's experience with the sounds of quarantine is sort of the opposite of everyone else's. Life with a two-year-old is never quiet, but since social distancing measures began here in the UK, we have been spending a lot more time together. Gone is the quiet house I used to work from, and in its place is pure chaos, 12 hours a day. We are trying to focus on being thankful for this extra time we get to spend together and for our good health as we get used to this new normal as a family. That was another world debut, by the way, of a strapping young fellow by the name of Joshua Ward Foxton. Next, we're going to take you to France. This is Anne-Francoise Pellet. The Easter weekend ended with the speech of our president, Emmanuel Macron. France will be under strict lockdown until May 11th. At least. No great surprise, we were more or less expecting a month-long extension. At home, kids have had ups and downs. Sometimes they fight with each other, as kids do. But they've been patient, supportive and resourceful, organizing Olympiads in the garden, observing bird breeding with their telescope, building a lava lamp with oil, water and aspirin. Amaury et Foucault, venez voir Je vais chercher un mur dans la cuisine et je l'ai mis sous le microscope, c'est super marrant. Ouais, fais voir, c'est quoi le truc à droite In the audio clip, Aliénor, the eldest, right after dissecting an onion, invites her brothers, Amory and Foucault, to examine its cells under the microscope. She tells them about mitochondria, chloroplast, photosynthesis, as her biology teacher told her before the lockdown. Now, in the background, you can hear some piano notes. Algenor decided yesterday she would take selfish lessons on YouTube. In these challenging times, we parents need to set limits, arbitrate when they fight, but we have to encourage their curiosity and listen to their achievements. They can't brag to their friends at school breaks, so we need to be super attentive and caring. I live in Oregon, one of the first states to adopt stricter measures to minimize the spread of the virus, which included closing a lot of businesses. But some things have to stay open. And a lot of people who normally don't get any recognition for what they do are putting themselves in harm's way just by continuing to work. That includes people who work for supermarkets and restaurants and delivery companies. Social distancing, of course, makes it impossible to approach these people to thank them. So for the last few weeks, people in my neighborhood have gone outside every night at 7 p.m. and made a racket as a show of gratitude. This is a new sound in the age of the coronavirus. Coronavirus. 
So much of the world is still only now coming to grips with the pandemic. We next go to China, where COVID-19 was first identified, and where the first wave of illnesses in many Chinese cities appears to be concluding. In those places, life is beginning to get back to normal. The reporter for the next segment is the son of EE Times China analyst Echo Zhao. He is also making his world debut. Hello, I'm Daniel. I live in Shenzhen, China. I went to a park and played soccer with my friend today. I know there is also outbreak in America. I want to tell American kids: listen to your parents, stay home, stay strong. Everything is going to be better. Come on, you can play outside soon. 加油 The quarantine is also giving some of us back some time. The time saved by commuting, especially. Some people are getting hours a day back to their lives, and we're all figuring out ways to put that time to use. Victor Gao, our colleague from the Aero Electronics corporate offices, has been using that time to practice playing the guitar. That was Victor during the opening of this segment, and here he is again taking us out. So that's your weekly briefing for the week ending April seventeenth. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back next Friday with a new episode. The weekly briefing is available on all your favorite podcast apps, but if you get there via our website, you'll find a transcript along with links to the stories we refer to, including video. Visit www.eetimes.com and click where it says Radio to find the full archive of podcasts. This podcast is produced by Aspen Core Studio. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin and Greg McRae at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Katie Huss. I'm Brian Santo. See you next week. Thank、you